Welcome to episode 354 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week we've got a jam-packed episode for you. Last week I wasn't able to put out an episode, so this week I'm bringing you two interviews. Because we've had a lot of interviews recently and I haven't been able to get them all out to you. We're going to start that right now. We've got Del Lytle of the band Angelus. He's the lead guitarist, and he's now also the lead vocalist. We're going to talk to him about that, and of course everything Angelus has had going on in the past 40 years of existence. We've also got Chaz West, the vocalist for the band Westbound. He's also well known from the band Bonham. He has a band called Resurrection Kings that is great as well. Done some other great stuff. We're going to talk about that coming up going to play you some music, talk about a couple other things, and get this thing going. But first, I'm going to let you know who we are sponsored by. MedFarm is a dispenser located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. They're right off the highway. They're hard to miss. They've got a drive through which is a great benefit to them that you can check out. You can go there. They're open super late, so if you call or text your order ahead of time. You can just drive right through and pick it up and be on your way. Their entire selection is listed at leafly.com. Their website is medfarmok.com. And they always run at specials on their socials. Medfarm, that's P-H-A-R-M on Facebook. Medfarmok on Instagram. So follow them there so you don't miss any of that. And another special that is always running, if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Very cool. And on top of all of this, the most important thing is they are cannabis with a cause. 30% of their proceeds go to build no-kill animal shelters. No one else around here is doing that, and you're hard-pressed to find businesses anywhere that give up nearly a third of their profits at all times to go to a great cause like this. So that's a good reason for you to hit up Med Farm no matter where you're at in this area. Check them out and tell them you heard about them on Thunder on the Ground. We've also got Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa, their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. Most importantly, they are mother approved. You can check out all of Jake's work. 25 plus years of experience on Facebook, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, and Instagram is Sunset Tattoo Tulsa as well. Check out all the photos of all the different work, all the different styles that he's great at. I've had work done by him. I know several other people have as well. I'm looking forward to having more done. So you can call him. Message him, whatever, to set up a time to talk about what work you need to have done and tell him you heard about him here. Finally, we got DEB Concerts, concert promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who's been bringing a ton of great acts to this area for the past several years. And coming up is no exception. This weekend, yep, we're, we're right here, August 20th, Saturday night, Tulsa, Oklahoma at the BOK Center. Poison is returning to Tulsa. And I've said this before, I'm pretty sure this is Poison's first time in Tulsa since the early 90s. They've been around the area. They've been in Oklahoma City a few times. They've been to Pryor for Rocklahoma a few times. Brett Michaels has been here multiple times. But the band Poison, I don't think, has played here since the early 90s. They are bringing along L.A. Guns with them. As well, Tom Kiefer of Cinderella. So three great bands, three great live bands on this bill. It's an off night of the stadium tour for Poison, and you can come out here to the BOK Center to see why those four guys are blowing 
Def Leppard and Molly Crew off the stage every night. BOKCenter.com for ticket info, DEBconcerts.com for other info, and of course, for any upcoming shows, you can always stay up to date there. And on their socials, it's at DEBconcerts on Facebook and Twitter. And we, of course, keep you up to date here anytime we get new information from DEB Concerts. And also, Rocklahoma is coming up shortly. We're less than three weeks away. Labor Day weekend, Prior, Oklahoma, the 15th annual Rocklahoma. And I bring this up because DEB Concerts books the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. The Roadhouse stage also includes the Thursday night pre-party. That's where it happens. You have to have a full weekend ticket to get in the pre-party. But you come out there, you'll see a great lineup, which features Fan Halen, Enough is Enough, Count 77, and One Night Stand. A killer a killer night there of rock and roll. And then throughout the weekend, there's going to be several bands every day on the Roadhouse stage. Quiet Riot is headlining one of the nights. Slaughter is headlining Saturday night, I believe. And then we've got Lit headlining Sunday night. That stage will also feature Midnight Devils making their return to Rocklahoma. Speaking of that, I just recorded an episode with Sam of Midnight Devils. Talk about that here in a second. But DEB Concerts, huge thank you to them for everything they do for this area, bringing the rock and roll. Like I said, this weekend, Poison is in town. I'm unfortunately going to be out of town, or I would absolutely be there. This is a band that I've seen many, many times in my life. Just as they did a long time ago, they're still doing now. They still put on an excellent live performance. LA Guns is the same way. I've seen them many times throughout the years. And a couple times in the past few years, Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis was on this podcast one of those times they came through Tulsa. Which, that was a really fun one. Tom Kiefer, same thing. Seen him solo, seen Cinderella many times throughout the years. And he's just an astounding live performer in my opinion. So you, you can't go wrong getting out there. You know, it, it fits kind of into the, the theme of this episode. I think with, I mean, both Dell Lytle and Chaz West's music, you know, is on the, the heavier side compared to the glammy stuff, I guess. But, you know, when you think of Poison, you know, Cinderella had a little bit harder edge stuff at times, even though they were more bluesy. And L.A. Guns, you know, kind of lean, lean darker at times as well. I assume if you like subject matter of this episode and you're in the Oklahoma area you should be out there at that show at the BOK Center so if I was there I'd definitely say hey but I'll be there in spirit but one band I do hope to see is Midnight Devils whenever they hit up Rocklahoma I need I should have looked at what day they're on but I'm going to talk about that more before Rocklahoma happens because I believe I'm going to put out this episode that I just recorded with Sam Spade Morris of the Midnight Devils. Him and uh, Chris, the guitarist, have both been on here a couple times previously, where they were on here twice previously together. And then Chris was on here once by himself whenever he joined in our massive 14 guest Eddie Van Halen tribute episode. But Sam came back to talk about their brand new album. It just came out a month ago. It's a really great album. Check it out. It's raw, gritty, dirty, glammy, sleazy, all that great stuff that you would expect from these guys, a little heavier than what they were before. So definitely really cool, and I'm looking forward to checking them out at Rocklahoma and bringing that episode to you soon. We've also got some other cool ones coming up. 
We did recently did one with Jeff Buner of the Loyal Order. We had on Brandon Cook, the guitarist of the Loyal Order. Man, it's I think it was during the pandemic, the beginning of it in 2020. Brandon Cook is also the lead guitarist of Black and Blue. We've also got one coming up with Anthony Apello, the lead singer of the southern rock group Six Gun Sal. Another very fun one. Got a couple others scheduled to be recorded. So once those happen, of course, I'll let you know about them. Let's um, jump into one of these interviews. Very happy to uh, to bring this first one. This is Chaz West. He has a band called Westbound. Their, their debut album came out in 2019. You know, once the pandemic kind of cleared up, they got back out this summer, started playing some shows. They've got more planned for this year. And of course, they're going to be working on that follow-up album. You really need to check out Westbound's debut album. Just a fantastic hard rock album. Melodic. Chaz has just one of those great, you know, deep kind of classic era hard rock voices. You know, his one of his big heroes was uh, and inspirations was Ronnie James Dio. And I'm talking along those lines. He doesn't really sound like Dio. I'm just saying that he's that essence of like that heavier singer that can be both, both melodic, bluesy, and heavy at the same time. You know, it fits in along the lines of the guys like Oni Logan from Lynch Mob. His style, you know, I mean, while well, speaking of Oni Logan, he was in Lynch Mob for a couple years. He was also in Foreigner for a short period. And Chaz kind of made his mark his early days of performing live with Bonham. He became the singer for Bonham in the 90s. And he actually, you know, talks a lot about that and tells a cool story about when Bonham was touring in South America with Dio and Scorpions. Kind of his experience interacting with Dio, talking to Dio, and kind of Dio becoming a mentor towards him and a friend, you know, from then forth for the rest of Dio's life. So that's, you know, really cool to hear. The Resurrection Kings, their music with members of Dio, former members of Dio, and Chaz West is just freaking kick-ass stuff as well. When this episode's over, you're going to have some homework to do on a few different bands. We've still got a couple coming up to talk about. So let's just jump into this and hear what Chaz has to say about Westbound and everything else. Third time's a charm, as they say. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, you guys just finished this Westbound tour. How'd, how'd that go getting back out there? Oh, it was great. You know, it was the first time in three years that we've been able to play out of state. I mean, we did a couple of gigs last year in California, which is our home base. But that was about it. And you could tell the people are just starving and loving live entertainment, you know, starving for live entertainment and loving it that it's finally back. And, um, you know, all the venues we played want us to come back and looks like there are bigger and better things to come even on the horizon for later this year into next year. On a personal level, did it feel good to be able to get back out there after a couple of years? Absolutely. It was it was ecstatic. It was great. 
you know, and uh, as I, you know, as I've said, even other interviews, it's kind of like starting over again, you know, <laughs> as John Lennon's saying. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a really great feeling. I know and uh, my whole band felt had the same kind of, you know, energy and the same kind of feeling that I did. So it was great. Well, you mentioned starting over and that kind of led into my next question, which is, I mean, the, your album came out in 2019 and then right. the pandemic hit in early 2020. So do you feel like that kind of stalled your momentum of getting word about this band out there? Oh, absolutely. We had yeah. just started to make some noise in 2019 and we played a little bit and, you know, I had, a, you know, some bigger shows scheduled for 2020, the bigger Asian and everything. And then, of course, everything came to a complete halt. So uh, that's why I decided, well, you know what, now things are starting up again. You know, that's why I got Jody Best involved, you know, hired uh, Best Bet Promotions, because as John Lennon sang, it's like starting over again. And and before we move on to volume two, you know, Westbound, which we will probably next year, uh, I was like, it didn't get a fair shot because it got, you know, everything got stopped dead in its tracks. So that's why I decided to do this. Yeah. When you guys formed this band, I mean, you and Roy Z have a history working together. Was So is it kind of natural, the writing process and everything, getting together to do this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, I got offered the deal through uh, Serafino, the president of Frontiers. And he said, I really want you to work with a producer co-writer, though. Do you have anybody in mind? And I had a couple of guys in mind. And uh, Roy Z was at the top of the list. And, you know, I rang him up and... He was all, I'm on, you know, I'm on board and they were all for it, you know, Frontiers. So I knew we'd be able to write together because we'd done the Tribe of Gypsies before. And, uh, you know, we're, we're friends, and you know, but besides just uh, being artists and um, we've known each other for years. I mean, I met him when I was with the Jason Bonham band. He was playing with Bruce Dickinson and we were in South America touring together. So, oh, wow. you know, we go back to 1997, that is, when we were just kids. So, you know, we, so, you, know you know what I mean? We were the young guns then. So, yeah. So I knew it was going to be great. And it was, you know, um, I know because we had already worked together. I mean, the first song I think we wrote together was Dance of Life and with Dave Chile Moreno, who also, I, he's my bro. Also, I've known him for 25 plus years you know, since we were kids. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was, it came together very quickly and the, you know, the magic and the inspiration was there right away. Well, what is your guys writing process like? Do you, do you get together to do it or do you kind of bring ideas that each of you already have together? Well, it's a little of both, you know, sometimes come in with some original idea, like dance of life. If I remember rightly, we're in a little room, just the three of us. And he had the chord progressions and I just started singing a melody. And, and it just came together. I mean, it was that quickly. I think we had the majority of the song basis. You know, obviously, we still have to find line lyrics and things like that. But as far as the chord progressions and, and the rhythms and, uh, you know, uh, the melody, probably within a half hour to an hour. And then, you know, I went home and worked on it on my own as far as, you know, uh, doing all the lyrics, fine lining all the lyrics and getting all that together. And um and he worked out some of the more of the uh core progressions and things like that um yeah it came together really quickly you know um it's one thing i've always you know i've realized in in the writing process it, it's either it either goes you know it's either 
you know right away <laughs> if you if it clicks and and you can write with this person really you know i'm not saying you're going to write a masterpiece immediately but you know right away if like okay i can, you know they we're on the same wavelength and uh you know with as far as me with melodies and lyrics and the guitar player with chord progressions and ideas that they have you know so you mentioned having history with both of them whenever you guys rounded out this band was it were you familiar with the other guys or was this something that you guys kind of had to build chemistry as you went? Well, I kind of had a yeah, because I decided, you know, that I wanted a real band, not just a project and and guys that were going to be dedicated, um, you know, that were going to make this a priority. I understand maybe you have to do other things, whatever, to make a living. I get it. But, uh, you know, I was very concerned about that. So I'd already, you know, I know had, you know, had Z, I had Chili. And then I found Jimmy Burkhardt, the other guitarist, through my friend Stephen McGrath, who is the bassist for Billy Idol for many years. And I was just at a jam. He invited me down. We did a jam thing. And, and there's Jimmy. And I was like, this, you know, in my head, I was looking for a Jimmy Page meets Joe Perry meets Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, this guy just fit the bill. And I was like, why hasn't this guy done any big things? I've never heard of this guy before. You know what I mean? And I, but at the same time, I was also, thank you, universe. Great. Because I found exactly what I was looking for. And he's the nicest, coolest guy. You know, no issues, no, you know, nothing like that. Um, he just didn't get the break for whatever reason. And uh, so he worked perfectly. I knew he would be great. And Jason Cornwell, I had played with before in a previous project. Um, and I know he, I knew him when he was playing with Eric Martin. So I knew he, you know, he would be, he was all on board, you know, and I, I always say, I wanted guys that were what I call pros and bros, you know, I mean, yeah, that was important to me, not just, you know, not just cause I, and a lot of guys in LA and I'm not going to mention names, a lot of friends, <laughs> but you know, they've got five other things going on and that's okay. But I wanted somebody that was at least going to make this a priority because it was the first time that I was in the driver's seat, you know, and, and it's my vehicle. And, you know, I was like, I want guys that, you know, okay, you got to do other stuff here and there, but, you know, at least make this a priority. So that was important to me. So that's why I was very particular about who I was going to have in my bands. Um, and then of course the last person who just recently joined during the pandemic, actually, <laughs> uh, this guy named T-Bone, he used to be the keyboard player for a government mule. Um, you know, with Warren Haynes and uh, he's Swedish and he's great. <laughs> uh, he plays second guitar also. So, and he became an integral part of the band now because we did a, you know, during the pandemic, the only thing you could do was streaming shows. So we did a streaming show for Monsters of Rock. And, you know, I called on him because the guy originally was going to use was not available. And I knew him from just playing a New Year's Eve party. And then we'd hung out a couple of times. And I said, would you do this? And he, you know, he got to learn all these songs within like two days. And he came in and he was great. And then we had a little viewing party, you know, when it, because we filmed it earlier in the week and they, they, they showed it on Friday and I had a little viewing party at my friend's pub. And he's like, I want to be in the band. He says, I don't want any more, <laughs> no feelings. I want to be in the band. And I said, well, listen, you know, it was probably going to be a while till we were able to do something. I'm, at that point, I was, thinking three to six months right right you know like everybody else but uh yeah he goes i don't care i want to be in the band 
I love this band. I love the songs. And I was like, okay, now that's the kind of attitude and dedication I was looking for. So there you go. <laughs> T-Bone having, you know, played with Government Mule. I mean, that's a totally different style. This is, I don't, I don't really know his background. Yeah, it is. That. Does it he is, fit in perfectly well with what you're doing? Well, you know, it is, but it's not because it's blues based still, right. you know? Well, yeah, so, true. yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I love the song Whipping Post. God, yeah. great song by all my brothers, you know. So it did. He loved it. Yeah, it fit right in because, you know, we're very it's very blues based what I'm doing. It's very, you know, Zeppelin, White Snake, you know, that vein, Aerosmith. And that's all blues based. So, yeah, it works. Well, you mentioned wanting to, you know, do a, a band and not a project. And I know in the, the bio thing, it mentioned talking about how you were approached to do a solo album. And then it kind of right. turned into this. Was that kind of the the idea in your head? Would you would rather have done something like this than just doing a solo project? Because a lot of times those just end up kind of being one off type things. Correct. Yeah. Exactly right. I mean, I, you know, Resurrection Kings, I did that. And that's that's what originally got me noticed by Serafino. And then, of course, he, you know, loved the, what I did. And then he loved my ideas. And, he, you know, he, of course, knew me from bottom and things like that that I'd done before. But, yeah, I didn't want because, you know, Vinny was busy doing Last in Line and Goldie was busy. You know, Craig Goldie was busy doing Dio Disciples. And I understand. But it's like so we were never hardly able to tour. We did a couple of shows. I think Sean McNabb was doing Dockin at the time or, oh, I don't know, Dockin or Quiet Riot, one of those bands. Um and I was just like, I don't want that same thing happening with this because I'm the driver's seat this time. And I have an opportunity to make this, you know, my brand. And it's, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, take this as far as I can take it, you know, all the way. You know, sky's the limit. Onwards and upwards, as they say. <laughs> right. So, you know, so yeah, absolutely. Well, how's that feel after all these years to kind of be in the driver's seat, you know, finally? It feels great because you're right. I've been the hired singer for quite a few bands, you know, and artists. And uh, well, I'll always be grateful. Like Jason Bonham, he gave me my first break and I was just an unknown kid, you know. So I'll always be grateful to him um, because I never would have been. I probably would, you know, I don't know if I'd still be able to do this if I hadn't gotten that break or some kind of break. And, and he did it, you know, and from that, I was able to parlay that into other bands and other artists that hired me. Um, it's great, you know, uh, but it's also a double-edged sword because you get all the credit, <laughs> but you also get all the blame if things don't go right. So, right. you know, and it's a lot more responsibility, you know, um, you know, I, I remember, but I lived and learned, you know, like I remember Jason doing all the interviews and I remember watching all this stuff and even with George Lynch, who I was with him or Farner with Mick Jones. So it's like, oh, it's, it's a lot more work. It's not just like, oh, yeah, just show up for sound check and do the gig and that's it. Right. You know, you know, you got now it's like you get interviews, you know, start, you know, sometimes you got radio reviews at 6 a.m. and, you know, things like that. So I, I did learn that. Um, but, yeah, uh, overall, I, it was time. You know, I, that's it's something I've had in the back of my head. I wanted to maybe do for a while, but I didn't quite have the vehicle to do it and you know serafino provided me with that you know with the opportunity i should say to have the vehicle so well yeah speaking of that i mean i love everything that frontiers has been doing the last several years and you've now done right. a few albums with them like what's what's it been like working with serafino and frontiers oh they're great they're very 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 cool very supportive they love the band and uh yeah i mean he was very 
he, you know, he did want me to follow. He's like, I want you to be more in a vein of like uh, White Snake, Zeppelin, Foreigner. I said, okay, you know. But he said, but you know, he'd let me go off a little bit here and there, like, you know, I wanted a little more Zep than <laughs> that he would have necessarily preferred, as far as the influence goes. I mean, he was very cool about it. He was very he's like, oh, great song. Okay, I'm good with that. You know, there was a couple of things that in the early days where it was kind of a I don't know. I had an, I had a couple songs that were kind of like a sound garden-ish kind of, but he wasn't, he wasn't into that. Not he didn't hate it. He didn't like it. He's just like, no, this is not what I want, you know, from, for you, for the label. So this won't work for us. And I said, okay, you know, but besides that, yeah, it was great. It's been very supportive and everybody at Frontiers, you know, has been really Nick and everybody, you know, who's uh, the, the uh, person here in America in Nashville. They've been great. Well, you, you mentioned early on, like possibly doing the next album. Is that something you guys have spoken about? We've or? spoken about it. You know, everything kind of look because of the pandemic, everything I put on hold, everything like is like, we'll see what happens. So and I decided, you know what, before I push that envelope some more, I'm going to we're going to start basically start over again with volume one as far as promoting it and getting it out there on the road because it barely got out there just a little bit, but barely just enough to make some noise. And then, and everybody forgets. I mean, their right. attention span these days, yeah. you know, even before the pandemic, but you know, it's got here to, you know, it's last a minute or two. And so everybody forgets. And that was three years. And I'm like, yeah, they don't even remember this. It never even got a fair shot. So let's go with this first and then it makes some more noise. And then I'll sit down with frontiers some more, or, you know, or I'll do it, you know, take another avenue. I mean, so, but one way or another, yes, there will be a volume two or whatever. Is the plan to do some more touring like later this year or have you? Oh, absolutely. That, yeah, we're yeah. going back out in the fall. Have, have those dates been announced or is that like a West Coast thing or? Um, it's going to be, yeah, well, it's a little bow. We're, we're going to be the East Coast again. It looks like uh, the dates will be announced in the next few weeks. Okay. Um, it looks like East Coast again, where we just kind of were. And then maybe a little bit of the, you know, getting into the Midwest and then West Coast after that. We're going to go back to the whiskey. We started at the whiskey in early June. And uh, we're going to go back there again. The, I think it's the 23rd of October. So, okay. And, uh, and you know, so yeah, we build around it. And there's might be some other things in between. But then there's bigger things on the horizon for next year. So, okay, God willing. So, yeah. <laughs> Another release you had recently last year was the Sky Gazer album, the second album from Resurrection Kings. Right. Like, was that album recorded pre-pandemic and then just held till then, or was it recorded during the no, pandemic? No, that was recorded during the pandemic. We never okay. even saw each other. <laughs> oh, really? Never even saw each other. No, nope. we all did everything separately in our own studios that was it i mean have you done that in the, in the past on an album or was that kind of a first well i mean i did it a little bit on the first resurrection kings record yeah but at least we saw each other for videos and pictures right. and you know maybe you know yeah I mean, and goldie and i wrote the first single together in my house so you know was it living out loud on the first record so um yeah i mean but yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. It was different, you know? And then we had to like, you know, do the videos separately and, you know, they, they made them a montage, 
together. That's the only thing you could do. You know, I was willing to get together and do a video. I was like, look, man, I'm vaccinated. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. But there's other guys in the band that didn't feel that way. And I'm, so I was like, okay, I respect that. I understand. So we'll just do everything separately. You know, sucks we weren't able to do any shows to promote it. But there again, as I said, you know, between the pandemic and everybody else having other things that are more prioritized, then, you know, that's what happened. I mean, is there any talk on trying to do a show here or there? Or is that kind of something you'd wait until another album down the line? I think that would be waiting later on down the line. Exactly. Depending right now, my priority and my focus is Westbound, my band. Okay. So, and I'm sure Vinny feels the same with Last in Line, you know, because uh, once Vivian's not out with Def Leppard, that's what they're concentrating on. And Craig Goldie, you know, Dear Disciples will probably start up again, you know, later this year or next year. So, you know, that's what he's doing. I, I believe he was doing a solo thing too. So, you know, um, Sean McNabb, he's doing a couple of different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always open to it. You know, they're my brothers. I've known them for years. So yeah. and Vinny and I played together, pff, bloody hell, on and off for 20 years, maybe even <laughs> something like that, 15 years, something like that. So I met him too when I was on that tour with Roy Z when I was at Bonham. He was playing with Dio. All right. So that's, that's, yeah, I met him. That's how I met Ronnie. You know, so who became my mentor from that tour on. So, man, that was some. Did you say Bruce Dickinson was on that too? Yeah, he was. And Z was uh, playing because Z, Z was playing with Bruce. Yeah, and he's okay. still, in fact, he just produced his new record. Oh, wow. So, they, it's coming out. I don't know, probably not till next year, but they just finished it. Yeah, they were doing it down in San Diego. He's been down there in Chile, played uh, drums on it. So Bruce was doing that in between Iron Maiden touring. Well, kind of being a young guy on that tour, seeing Ronnie James Dio and Bruce Dickinson, you know, like what, like what, what did you pick up from that that you know has kind of lasted with you throughout the years? Well, look, man. I mean, Ronnie was so cool. I just because I had met Vinny and I, the night before, and I met I know Jeff, Jeff Pilson a little bit just to say hello to, you know, in L.A. Um, and he, he, what happened, this is really true, man. It's like, he had heard me backstage. Um, and he said, who's that kid singing with Bonzo's kid? And I think it was Jeff said, oh, this guy named Chaz, you know, he lives in LA. And he, oh, he lives in LA. And he's like, yeah, you know, I know him from around. He's been, you know, he's great singer. And he, you know, um, yeah, he's with Jason, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I'd like to meet him. So what happened is this tour manager came up to me after we were done and he said, Hey, you're going to, you're going to hang around. And I said, of course, you know, I mean, I'm like on a high, we just played to 50,000 people. Right. <laughs> I'm a kid. Exactly. The most I've played to is a few thousand maybe at that point. And I'm like, I'm not going to, he goes, okay, well, listen, Ronnie would like to meet you. So when we're done, you know, he goes, just, uh, you come with me and Ronnie, because the band will go this way and we'll go this way. And I went, okay. You know, because he has a separate dressing room area. And I went, all right. I was like, are you kidding me? Okay. So I'm just standing there and I watched the whole show. And he even like pointed at me on stage. And I think he might even gave me a shout out kind of thing. And, uh, and then at the end, sure enough, you know, I followed him and his tour manager, you know, went to, we went to the right. I think the right, or left or whatever. And the rest of the band went the other way. And this is, you know, a football stadium or soccer stadium in South America. Was, I think it was Sao Paulo, Brazil. 
and there, you know, it's nothing special. This is, it's like a cement floor, wooden benches and metal lockers, you know? <laughs> and, right. And his tour manager comes in and he puts down the bottle of vodka and tonic because Ronnie's drinking these on stage. It was, he was so cool. And uh, he pours him, pours him a drink and he says, would you like one? I said, sure. And he pours me a drink and then he leaves and Ronnie pulls out a joint. And he says, do you do this? And I said, well, I'm not singing. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not singing right now. So, and so, we, you know, and he pulled out, he lit up a joint and, you know, and he said, look, the reason I wanted to meet you is because I was backstage and I heard you. And I was like, wow, this guy's got some set of pipes. And I heard, you know, I found out the local guy live in L.A. And, uh you know, I just wanted to meet you because Jeff spoke highly of you. And, and Vinny, I, you know, I guess you guys met, you know, in the last couple of days. And I said, yeah, you know, and he spent like two hours with me, like just hanging out, giving me advice to tell me what to do, what not to do. And, you know, and don't follow trends and stick to your guns. And, you know, I mean, it was it was very it meant so much to me. It made it have, you know, a lasting impression because he didn't have to do that. I was some unknown kid. You know, um, and he was like, he gave me his phone number and said, if you ever need any advice or anything, don't hesitate to call me, you know. And at the time I was living in Hollywood. Now, I, it's so weird. I live in Encino where he was living. I live like maybe a mile from where he lived. So, so yeah, so a uh, mile or two miles. So, yeah, I mean, it really made a lasting impression. And there was times I'm not the kind of guy who's just going to call for no reason and bug him. But I would not see him for months. And all of a sudden, like even at a NAMM show, there'd be thousands of people be like, Chaz, come here, come here. And then he'd have his like, he'd have his, you know, the guys working through his crew, like, get him back here. And he'd like walk me through and around and, you know, like a meet and greet. People, you know, there's hundreds of people waiting in line for her you know pictures and uh yeah i mean so it really really he was that's why i consider my mentor so, which is really cool well and i guess with you know having him as a mentor and obviously being a big fan like all these years later you know writing and recording with a couple key members of his bands probably got to be pretty special absolutely yeah. very much so you know so i'm always be i'll always be very grateful yeah. for that you know I missed him. I missed, you know, seeing him, talking to him. The last time I saw him was Vinny's birthday and uh, in a little private party um, at an Italian restaurant, you know, private. And we were just having cracking jokes and we were talking music, though, too. And like modern stuff, like what modern bands do you like? Blah, blah, blah. We hung out. We were drinking wine. And then I remember <laughs> he was like. He's like, hey man, I got all the wine here. Let's go find the girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that the end of the night? Like you know, and everything. Most people have left, and then we yeah. had a little private party at uh, at Vinny's place at the time. Um, after an after party. So yeah, that was the last time I saw. Him. Wow. You know, I remember I was with Jimmy Bain when he, uh, the late great Jimmy Bain, when he was passing. I was with him that night. Um, oh, wow. So I, it was pretty heavy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I know I can't believe Jimmy's gone too now. Yeah. Yeah. So late great Jimmy Bang and Ronnie, they're up there playing together. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, as someone who's worked with a lot of different bands and players throughout the years, do you find it easy to adapt to 
you know, different musicians playing or working styles? Absolutely. You know, you learn. I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, right away if it's going to click or it's not. Um, And of course, when it's somebody else's situation, when it's somebody else's band, you know, then you have to, you know, make it work one way or another if if you want to continue to stay in, in the band. So, I mean, but but yeah, I've been fortunate now. Like obviously George Lynch, I knew what he was doing. I was like, yeah, that's right up my alley. It's blues, hard rock kind of based. And sure, no problem. You know, Jakey Lee, same thing. Foreigner, absolutely. You know, so it's not, you know, what, you know, if I got a call to do Rush, that wouldn't be probably work for me. <laughs> you know, I love Rush, but it right. probably wouldn't work for me, you know, or Triumph or something like that. I mean, I love that. They had some great stuff, but I'm not that kind of vocalist. Right. Know, um, so Queens, right. I love them, but it wouldn't be, well, I don't think it would work for me. So right. there you go. You know what I mean? You got to know what, what your strong points are and, you know, don't, don't go out of, you know, and, and you, you, you prioritize, you push those strong points and then that's, then you'll, you know, that's how, that's how I got the bottom gig, you know? And then of course then from there on, it opened up these other doors. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you recorded the Skygazer album and had a couple, you know, performances with Westbound and everything during the pandemic. But what did you do to keep your voice active, you know, in all that downtime? Uh, as much as I could, man. I would just, I would sing around the house. I'd sing in the car. We were able to do like a couple of outdoor little cover gig parties kind of thing. And they were outdoors on a patio. And okay. I would do them just, just to keep the pipes up. You're absolutely right. And of course I recorded. So I would do whatever I could, but you're right. I noticed the first time after not doing a gig for over a year or more, I thought I was going to collapse after the first four or five shows that song. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to do this as much, much more often if you can, if, you know, as possible. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, friends of mine would call me. I was like, Hey, we're going to have a little party. I'm over here. You know, I'll, okay, I'll come sing. You know, I mean, just just keep the pipes up. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And then when the gyms opened, I was back in on the elliptical. So another thing throughout your career is, you know, you've you've worked with tons of you know just world class legendary drummers and guitarists. Is there anyone that you haven't worked with that you'd love the opportunity to? Well, unfortunately, it would have been Eddie Van Halen, but he's gone. But right. besides that, obviously, number one, Jimmy Page. Okay. Number two, Joe Perry. There you go. Those two, as far as guitarists go. Um, drummers, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate because playing with starting with Jason Bonham, when you're playing with the son of the you know greatest rock drummer of all time, it yeah. opens up the door to like every, almost every major hard rock drummer wants to play with you <laughs> yeah right. you know like it, it, exactly as you said Vinnie and you know the list goes on um Carmine I played with Carmine too so um drumming wise Alex Van Halen yeah uh Joey Kramer now nah, but Joey's not you know I know he's probably not doing too good right now right. but uh but in the past um Roger Taylor uh Grohl, Dave Grohl, of course. And he lives like two miles from me, a mile or two miles from me. Okay. <laughs> lives up the street. Uh yeah. Uh and I've known Dave. He's he's a great guy. Um <sighs> I'll just tell my head that's that, at this point, that's all I can think of. Right. Yeah. 
back in Bonham, did those set lists include Zeppelin songs? Oh yeah. Always. Okay. I figured. But... Always. If you want to get paid. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just like with Westbound. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, if you're Westbound, you got to do some Zeppelin too, right? And yeah. a Bonham song or two. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> so the promoter, the promoters, agents, I was like, okay, okay, fine. You know, cause it's a new band and I understand that, you know, the people, but it's been, they've been very open. I mean, I start with a Zeppelin song and, and then I'll play an original one and they've loved it. It's been gone over really well, you know? Um, so mixed in, you know, and I learned that from Jason and what to do and, and I'll, you know, even Vinny and, uh, and Jimmy, you know, we were the same thing when we were doing this thing. Um, we would do some, you know, some Dio and some Sabbath um, along with um, some originals. We had a thing called Three-Legged Dog with Carlos Cavazzo on guitar. And we uh, went one record on a small label. We did a bunch of shows, but that's what we would do. We'd mix it up. And that's what goes over because you got to give the people what they want. You know, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're paying their hard-earned money. So you can't just give them all originals <laughs> right off the bat <laughs> and expect that, you know. You got to give them a little, and then they're and then they're more accepting and open to, you know, something new. So, right. I mean, I always I get it whenever an artist says that they just want to you know play what they're doing now, but at the same time, you know that a good chunk of that crowd's there for what they're known for. You know, exactly, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. And people are spending their hard-earned money, so you know, agreed. So that's why I've never had an issue with that. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm grateful that I, you know, I've done this stuff and, you know, I've had this career resume and I'm able to mix it up and there's enough that, you know, it works out and I can get paid, make a living <laughs> doing right. what my passion is. You know, I'm just grateful enough for that, especially after everything being shut down for, you know, two, close to two years. So, yeah. Uh, and I also noticed that the more you play out and, and um, they'll even the audiences are even open to more original stuff as long as you give them a little bit of what they expect, what they've heard. And in my case, Zeppelin, and then maybe a couple of bottom songs. So, you mentioned earlier that next year would be even bigger and greater things. Is that anything you can mention, or is that I can't just... talk about it yet? Okay, okay. But it's something that just basically came up, and uh, it's with a friend, and okay, and it would it it, it it'll be great. It'll be great if it all works out. So, all right. Um, but I, I'd rather not. I've learned from the past. <laughs> don't talk about things till they're concrete. <laughs> right. Then it, for some reason, it always seems to blow up in your face when, when yeah. you know, it doesn't work out. So I've just learned in the past better not to talk about it until things are more concrete. So, absolutely. Right. All right, man. Well, I love everything you're doing with Westbound and Resurrection Kings, and I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Thank you, Trent. It's really great talking to you. Where are you at? I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, sure. Yeah. I played there a few times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope to be back there again sometime in the near future. Yeah. I'd love it if you have one of those westbound dates is in the in the vicinity of Oklahoma or Texas. You know? yeah. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. I do have a new agent that's based out of a Texas area. So, okay. So, so yeah, I will definitely work on that. I, I think it's probably we're probably looking more like the end of the year, or probably next year. But yeah, definitely. There you go, Chaz West of Westbound and Resurrection Kings. Big thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her 
continued support of this podcast. She's amazing. And also, a massive thank you to Chaz West for taking some time out there to talk to me on Zoom so we could, you know, get this podcast recorded for you. Some very cool stuff from him there talking about Westbound, Resurrection Kings, Bonham, Dio, and all kinds of stuff in between. Speaking of Lynch Mob, who he was in for a bit, a former lead singer of Lynch Mob, Robert Mason, has been on this podcast. So, you know, there's a slight tie-in slash, slash self-promotion for you. But someone else who has been on this podcast, actually a few times, is members of Tesla. Frank Hannon has been on here four times now, and Brian Wheat has been on here once. But I bring that up because Tesla has a brand new song out. It's been out a here two or three weeks now. And Frank Hannon was just on this podcast in June. Three episodes ago, I think it was yeah, episode 350. And he talked about this song and about how it was forthcoming. He talked a lot about this song, the recording of it, everything that went into it. So let's check it out right now. This song is called Time to Rock. Friend. 
There you go, Time to Rock, the brand new track from Tesla. And hey, if you got a, a title like Time to Rock, the song better not suck. And that decidedly does not. You know, my favorite thing about that and Cold Blue Steel is something that I kind of mentioned whenever talking to Frank on that episode of, a few episodes ago, was that as much as I love Phil Collin and Def Leppard, when Phil Collin produced Shock, it had Phil Collin all over it. Frank talked about how, you know, he was heavy in the songwriting and, of course, the production and then the direction and everything. And it just really had, it sounded like Tesla doing Def Leppard. So these last two singles from Tesla, Cold Blue Steel and Now Time to Rock, have put them back in, in my opinion, where they should be, which is the sound of Tesla. He talked a lot about that in that episode as well. You know, it's kind of that raw, gritty rock and roll sound. And Time to Rock brings that, just like Tesla's known for. So I think if you like Tesla, you're definitely probably liking that song, right? Like I said, Frank Cannon's been on here four times. You can check out all those episodes. Brian Wheat was also on here early last year. That was very cool. I've actually been in talks with a former member of Tesla about being on here as well. So... Hopefully that happens sooner than later. Okay, let's jump into this next interview. We've got Del Lytle of the band Angelus. Del is the lead guitarist. He is the founding member, a co-founder of the band Angelus. He's been in the band from day one. He is now also the lead vocalist. Their newest album, Running Like an Outlaw, came out back in March. And Del did not sing on that. He, just, he took over the vocal duties after the album was released. And the touring that they've been doing this year, he's been up there singing as well as playing guitar. And that's something that we talk about here in this interview coming up about, you know, why he decided to do it after all this time, how it's going on all that stuff. And I mean, this band, you know, is a band that is the definition of never quit. You know, I mean, this band has been pounding away for over 40 years now. This album, Running Like an Outlaw, was their eighth album in the past decade. That's that's unbelievable. Eight albums in the past ten years. We're talking in a, an era of time where a lot of big bands, you know, where it used to be every other year. Every second year you'd get a new album. 
but a lot of big bands have shied away from that even. You might get every three or four years. You might get an EP. You might get some singles here or there. We're talking about the 60s and 70s when bands were putting out an album once a year or an album every nine months, you know, because the record label just wanted to keep pumping this stuff out. But Angelus, you know, is pumping out the content. They just keep going. They keep they keep doing what they love, and you got to respect that. you got to respect that this band has been doing it for as long as they have. And back in, I believe it was 83, they co-headlined the Whiskey with Motley Crue for a couple nights. This band did some stuff. Touring with Quiet Riot. Dale talks about Quiet Riot here coming up in this interview as well. Here's Dale Lytle of the band Angelus. And, you know, Nothing But Love's kind of hit on the mainstream rock charts a bit. Yeah, it's, it's still on there. It's actually still on the mainstream rock chart. Um, it's just, um, it just keeps hanging in there. Month after month, week after week. That's, That's really cool. Yeah. Very, very happy with it. Had you had singles you know, in like the past decade or so chart before, or is that the first one that's hit in a while or? You know, no, uh, uh, our last album before this, um, on, um, hell on high heels, we had uh hill the wounds chart, it, but it came in at like one sixty four. you know, and this one went all the way up to 22. So it's, uh, really hit the top 40. So it, it really surpassed it. Like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very happy with it. Yeah. It's just like a nice day. Nothing like this. Nothing like this evidence. This is definitely the first and very, very uh, humbling and, and gratifying and, and just uh, surreal. You know, just absolutely surreal. What's it? I mean, it's a great album. Like, the, I really dug the track Lords of Thunder. Like, is there any songs on there that like, oh, really yeah. hold some meaning to you? or? Yeah. Uh, I have to say that one, my wife as well. Connie loves that very much. It's it's probably definitely one of our favorite songs on the record. Oh, that's cool. It, it definitely is. Yeah, that's a great one. Like, what made you just, you didn't sing on the album, right? But you're singing now? I'm singing now, yeah. yeah. I didn't sing on the record, but I sound a lot like the guy that sings on the record. Okay. And yeah. I just um, decided it was just time in my life to, to start singing. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it. It's really uh, um, just very, very happy with it. But what do you, what do you think it was that yeah. kind of drove you to that after all this time? Um, you know, just singers in general. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I I don't know if you've ever dealt with singers, but they're kind of a breed in themselves, <laughs> and um, you know, you just get tired of dealing with them and. and uh, it was just a, a move that I, I, I had Dave Rodman. We were together for like, I don't know, 15 years or something back from 77 to like uh, 89. And then we got back together and did a record in 08. But um, he went off and became a preacher. And it was just something that um, you know, I've just had several singers over the years and and I just thought, you know, it's just a time to just do it myself. I don't have to worry about uh, another member. Um, it's just less hassle. It's it's really hassle-free. Um, and and it's just um, something that, that just seemed to be right at the time. At this time, it seems to be right. And I, I don't know. You know. It just seems like the right thing to do right now in my life. And I'm, I'm able to do it, which is... Uh, 
another big factor. If I wasn't able to do it, I wouldn't be doing it, but I'm able to pull it off. And, and like I said, I really enjoy it. And it's just uh, another member that you don't have to deal with. Yeah. And um, so that's, you know, I, that's, that's, that's the reason. Well, were the, the first live shows you did, was it kind of tricky getting used to doing that since you had, you know, spent all this time uh, just playing guitar on stage? I mean, yeah, just nervous, just nervous as hell. You know, I mean, just really being on like, like you just don't know what to expect and remembering the words. I had an iPad and I didn't look at it. And I'm, I'm using it for more, more. I ended up using it more for a set list and then, um, the words. And, um, it was just, just going up there and, and doing it. And we did a little place like, um, um, in Missouri and it would make sure it was our record company said, now make sure you do the first couple of shows real small. Well, we did one real small and then we set to a pretty good sized stage called the outpost in Ohio okay. and, uh, in Kent, Ohio. And it was really, it's like, I wanted to stop the show so bad. <laughs> I did I just didn't want to, I did not want to go out there. I mean, it was like, you know, my wife's like sitting there shoving me and I'm like, run out the door. <laughs> like, no, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, it's like, oh, I wanted to run so bad. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of good, a good example. I guess that's it. You know, it's just like, I wanted to run out the door and just like not do it. And she's like pushing me onto the stage, you know, that thing. And, and once I got up there, it was, it was just, that was it, you know? And I mean, I got nervous before playing guitar, you know, all my whole life. I mean, because I give it my, my all, if I don't live up to, you know, what, what I do on stage as an entertainer, um, I like to entertain. I'm not just a guitar player stand there just like you to do. You know, I, I like to go out there, give the people something, you know, a show. And, and, uh, now I'm able to do that, but I sing as well. And which is really cool. And then, then the, um, uh, second show, a third show was a smaller venue, but it was a lot of people were there and same the, the second one too, but, uh, it was just a little bit smaller, more, um, uh, intimate. And that was really, um, I, I think I was starting to get used to it by then. It's starting to sink in now. And it's starting to get easier, and and but it's it's a lot of fun. Just remembering the lyrics, not getting them wrong. I've, I've noticed myself I I throw in uh, a wrong lyric here and there, uh, like "Well, like thunder." It's like instead of Saturday night at the barkery, I, I said, you know, the animals are here and they're out to kill. You know, <laughs> I, I took another line from you know, so it's little 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 things like that. I'm having to to you know fine night and and singing like um all night not is um i laid back too much i, I like my wife films everything so i'm able to go back and study film okay. and so I've, I've got to give it a little bit more and there's one song which hunter where i gave a little bit too much i got to pull back a little bit you know just a little little adjustment but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying it a lot. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yeah. And, and I don't have to worry about the singer if he's not saying enough or not saying too much. And 
And um, a lot of times, you know, you get, um, we had this one guy that got up on stage and he, he just like, there was, um, uh, we were playing uh, in Denver um, at a place called The Venue. And he got up there and there was, um, it was, I think, sound check. And he was saying things that I don't feel he should have been saying. And, and that just wasn't right. And, um, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I've got a, I just walled uh, <laughs> down the wrong pipe. Anyways, um, okay. I felt that he was just saying things he shouldn't have been saying, <laughs> if you will. And um, it was just kind of a little out of line. And, you know, little things like that I don't have to worry about. Um, uh, Dave was always really great. Gwen was really great. Uh, Claire was great, but a little bit too relaxed, a little bit too fluffy. You know, I've had guys taking up as a girl singer. Um, and you know, it's just, I, I, I love them all. I'm really glad for what they've all done. Um, they've all contributed, um, a lot to the records, you know, I'll guide them on what I want the album to be about. Uh, you know, I write all the music. So, um, and I give, I've, I've given all the singers like the album done in the lap. Okay. Now write something and, and they'll, you know, a lot of them ask, what do you want it to be about? What, what, what are, where are we going with this? And it's either like feel good or a party record or more serious or more political. And like Killers of the Game was more so, um, more that way. Um, Running Like an Outlaw was a little bit more fun. And then, you know, like Rose the Thunder, it's, it's my wife and my favorite track off the, the record. Um, and, and Running Like an Outlaw, I really like that one. It's fun. That that song is so fun live, and, and the audience seems to really love it. It's just uh, so catchy, you know, running like an outlaw. <laughs> it's like just, uh, uh, really um, something that that um, seems to work really well live. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Well, with you handling the the vocals now, are you already like thinking and looking forward to the next album and singing on it? Yeah, I really am uh, very much. And that way I can write, you know, my I don't have to tell them kind of what, advise them and guide them on what I, I want to, the record to be about. I already have it in my own head and I'll be able to just deal with it and, and write my own lyrics. And, and I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it. it, it um, on, on what avenue, you know, to go down whether it's just going to be a party fun album or a party fun song or something more serious. And I, I don't have to worry about explaining or waiting to see if they're going to be good or if I'm going to like them or if they're going to make sense or, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's something I'm really, um, I'll, I'll have more control, a lot more control um, that way. Will this be the first time that you've written lyrics for Angelus? You know, not really. I mean, I've written a song. Actually, it's never made it to a record, but it's called Luxury, and I've written the lyrics to that. Um, Baby Sugar Love was a song that we had um, way back in the day. Um, I wrote the chorus for that one. I write um, little odd, little bits and pieces, but I've, I've actually written quite a bit of lyrics myself. So, you know, that for songs that really I've never really used so I have laying around ready to go and I've got a lot of licks I've got more licks I, than I'll ever be able to, to use yeah. in, in my lifetime 
that that are ready to go. Uh, you know, what's funny though. It's like the older ones never seem to really get used. And I got somebody to keep bugging me to use them. He's going, you know, this lick you've had since 78 and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I don't want to use a lick from that. I, I just seem to use the most current things. And, and pretty much every time I pick up the guitar, I come up with something and my wife will know it's something new and she'll come in here, running in here and, 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 and record it, you know, and, and, and so I, that's what I end up using is really the most current things. And I, I think that's the way it should, should probably be. I don't want to go back and, you know, do something I, I did 40 years ago. Unless somebody like, like he, I'm, I'm, I, I, I agreed to listen to some of the things he's talking about and the guy's name's Austin and a really good friend. And, I'm going to do that and see. I mean, maybe there is something that, that'll really catch my ear uh, that, that I'll go, yeah, that, that is really cool. You know? um, but other than that, I'm not. And, and I'm not, I, I don't really play, I don't play covers. I, I've done a couple covers on a few albums over the years. Um, but overall, I, every, I, I don't pick up the guitar. When I pick it up, it's to either practice leads or to write a new book. You know, and, and it just seems to always work out that way. That's one reason I've never really learned covers is because every time I pick up a guitar, I end up writing something yeah. and I get into that. And I, I just, I, I never, I can't get my mind to go to sitting down and trying to learn a song by that somebody else wrote. It, just, it never made sense to me. It never made me happy. That, that like, never was something that I wanted to sit there and be a jukebox and go play for three sets for 45 minutes and, and get paid for it. To me, that, that wasn't that to me, that's not art. It's not art. And, and, um, I, I, I'm, I think I'm more of an artist. Uh, I, I, to me, I, I've got, I'm looking at 17 albums that I put up on the wall of music that I've written all the music to. And it's, it's what I'm going to leave behind when I pass one day. And and um, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to come up with that many songs and that many that much music if I had you know spent more time doing covers and I just that never excited me. It just there was something inside of me that wouldn't let me go there and just let that always. I mean, I think the first song I wrote was called Earthquake, and I don't remember how it goes or anything like that, but it was. Um, you know, living in California at the time, I'm in Ohio now, but it was like, I, I don't know if that was the reason, but you know, that, I, I remember that was the name of the first song I ever wrote. And I just always done that ever since. I'm just, I love writing music. I love writing songs. I love a good hook, you know, good guitar hook. I love that. I love a good vocal hook, like fired up, you know, fired up. Fired up, you know. I love that. So, yeah, it's really cool. Well, I mean, speaking of writing guitar parts, like what it's, what inspires you these days to do it? Like, is it any different than it was forty, forty five years ago? Or you still just come from the same place, the love of music? <clears throat> yeah, just, just, it just. I don't know where it comes from. I pick it up and I, I play, and it's there. I mean, it's like I, I don't, I don't know where I don't. Yeah, it's like comes from out of the universe, out of the sky or something. It's just, yeah, it's weird. It's I don't know where it comes from. Um, it just, 
uh, I guess I've been told um, it's just being creative. Um, it just comes natural. Um, I, I, that's to me, it just comes, it just, I, I don't have a, and it, it always does. It, it doesn't fail. I, cause I sit down, I really want to write something and I say, I'm going to write something. I don't think I could do it. You know, I just got to pick up the guitar and start playing and uh, it just comes. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, you know, the way it works. It just happens. It happens. Yeah. And, uh, that to me seems the right way. I mean, if, you know, if I, I don't force it, if, if I've got to force it, then it's, it's time to put it down and pick it up at another time. You've had a ton of output here in just the past decade. You've had several albums. Is it, I think eight albums, like eight albums. Yeah. Yep. Like talk about yeah, having that much output years. during kind of a time period where a lot of, you know, bands kind of shied away from that, you know, and gone more yeah. like the single routes or just an album every few years. Right. I just, I love it. I love it. I, I, I love it. I love putting, uh, uh, getting the hooks, putting the parts together, putting, uh, um, getting them ready to go into the studio. Um, you know, it's, 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 I like to get them rehearsed and, and I, I, I don't do it with, with drum tracks. I don't use anything like that. It's all real. It's all, um, you know, we go in and, and do one to three takes rhythm wise. And then, you know, we lay them down. They're laid down real. And, and I like it that way. And I, I, I rehearse them until we can just get through the song, you know, until, so they're so fresh. And it's not like, you know, we run through them and run through them and run through them and run through them. And we'll do seven, eight songs at one time in two, two hours. I mean, it literally takes longer to get the drum sounds than it does for us to record the seven tracks. <laughs> I mean, we literally go through, you know, I mean, a three minute, four minute, five minute song. And we'll, it, it's most of the time it's one take, one take, two takes, maybe, you know, and if there's a small mistake, I let it be, we'll, we'll, we'll punch it in and, and call it good. As long as the drum track is there, and the feel is there. I, I care more about the feel and the motion. And if it speeds up a little bit or, I mean, it never, Danny never really gets too out of control on the speed. Uh, but if it, if there's a little variation, I don't care. It, it's, it, it's called, it's, it's what's, what's real, what comes from the soul. And that doesn't bother me. It's, it's now he never really get he never gets, makes it to where it's like, you know, starts at, you know, uh, one speed and ends up, you know, like Mickey Mouse, uh, singing or, or really fast, you know, yeah. um, or slows down like, you know, like, um, <clears throat> putting on the brakes It never, it just, it may vary a little bit, but, um, I, I, I don't really, I could barely even hear it. And I think it keeps the realness, the emotion. And I've had so many, you know, engineers and, you know, like Matt Thorne, you know, why don't you just, uh, you know, use a drum track and he finally gave up on me. He doesn't, you know, <laughs> he's done, we'll, we'll go there to do our vocals. We'll go to empty studios and, and, and California. Um, when we were there, we would always go to Matt and, you know, it was you, you know, just use a drum track. And uh, then finally he gave up on me. He realized it wasn't ever going to happen. It's something <laughs> that, that, um, 
you know, as I say, he ends up flying them in anyways. It takes no, really not much more time. I'd say, you know, a couple more minutes, you know, at, at best to line it up. You know, I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, it, it's a little bit more work for the engineer, but not much. So in in the long run, it, it's really not that, um, um, it, it's not that much, not really that needed. And it's like you get your, your the real feel. And that's what I, I, I want to call it, the real feel. It's not, it's not fake, it's real. And yeah. like I said, we do the takes and, you know, a lot of the times are the first takes. I mean, that's do it once. And, and I don't re- rehearse my leads either. I, I like to write them in the studio. And just like we have a song called Hollywood, and that's a good example. That lead was, you know, the first take, and that was it. I looked at, at, at Matt and said that was it. And I'm over done. You know, it was like, that's it. Next song. <laughs> and just move on. And I, I just lay down what, 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 you know, you get the the feeling when you're when you're here in the studio and you're hearing it back through the monitors and you got your your guitar sound going on, you're you're playing along with your your own song. Um it it uh it's a good feeling. It feels great and when the you got the most emotion and, and um I, that's the way I, I really love laying down the uh lead tracks is 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 like that. And I'll go all the way down all my leads, I'll lay down the rhythm, I'll lay down Lead the way down. The vocals used to come, you know, always we come at a different day. But the rhythms, I mean, oh, we'll <clears throat> excuse me, we'll put in like twelve, twelve hours, uh, twelve hour session, and do as much as I can. I'll put the acoustic guitars in there, the twelve strings, um, as much as I can in the time that we're allotted for a day. And um, you know, it's pretty cool. I, I love it. I love recording. That's why. Um, I love, it's like a baby, you know, it's like, you know, it's like making a new baby and having, uh, it, it's just, um, uh, you've got, you know, eight to 10 new songs and, and it's just a really great thing. And I like, you know, the question was about doing an album a year. Um, I, I'm going to start working on one and have one ready probably for the spring and I wow. uh, just can't wait. It's, 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 it's so it's a lot of fun. Um, and the whole process is just uh, very exciting. That's very cool. Yeah. Also, I recently saw that you've got a, a book out now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the book of Dale George Lytle. Like, how did that come together? Is that something you'd been wanting to do a while? Or did someone like suggest that idea to you? Well, it was kind of a revised version. Um, I had it out about mm, 14 years ago, something like that. Oh, okay. And I wanted another cover. And then we started, everything had progressed and so much stuff had happened. So we added to it. And so it's, it's more current. It's up to date is what it is. Um, um, so everything we've added the last, what, 12 years, Connie to, to the, to, to the book. And so it's, it's, the book plus the last 12 years and we didn't really get into it overly too much the last 12 years we just kind of made it to the point and got it done and uh you know changed the cover and and that that's it but i i wanted to get it updated 
and and that's what we did. Okay. Also, next year will be the 40th anniversary of We're No Angels. Do you have any thoughts on celebrating wow. that in any way? Ah, uh, you know that's a that's a really good one. I've got to really think about it. If, if anything, I think I'd go back probably and do the whiskey or do party in the parking lot or you know maybe talk to jody and see what she might want to come up with if she might come up with something special um i think would be um i think doing the monster monster rock cruise and doing a really good show um maybe releasing um the best of angelus uh, might be a good one um the great angelus greatest hits for the 40th anniversary might be a really good uh good thing to do absolutely yeah that's a really good possibility i I think that that might be the thing to do yeah it's the 40th anniversary wow 40 (laughs) years (laughs) time flies does it feel weird to say that out loud (laughs) yeah yeah it does i mean it really does 40 years you know it's uh you know long time it a is. long time it <laughs> makes you yeah you know, uh, crazy 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 <laughs> but you know and, and you can't stop it time goes time Absolutely. keeps going yep you know i i saw that carlos Calazzo um I'm, I'm friends with a uh, vicky because he's not really on facebook but his wife is and uh he just got his uh guitar back that he used to use when he was in snow and we played with him a couple of years back at the whiskey and he was all excited. He, he was like a little kid in a candy store <laughs> and he, somebody gave him his guitar back from, uh, for his birthday, um, just uh, a few days ago. And, oh, wow. and, uh, it's really, it's really pretty cool. And we used to play with them all the time back then. So it was like last time I, I went, we played it, it was at the whiskey couple of years uh a couple yeah about two years ago 2019 something like that three years ago and uh doug was singing and I, he's kind of ill now so he's got some health issues otherwise we'd be um trying to put set up a show together again uh, i would really like to do that a lot but uh, we'll see maybe he'll be okay and and you know all hoping for him and sending positive vibes and and um all that, you know, stuff. But, uh, yeah, he's, Carlos is very excited about the uh, new guitar that was, or getting back his old guitar that he had in snow. But we, we played together at the whiskey and, and he was, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty exciting after all these years. I think it was probably close to 35, 40 years ago that we played together. Oh, wow. Quite a bit back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And uh, I was actually supposed to be the guitar player for Quiet Riot. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, Kevin asked me, and he took me over to uh, Frank's house, Frankie Benelli's, and uh, uh, Riverside Drive, and, and uh, uh, to Luca Lake and California. And, you know, I discussed it and talked to him, and I just, I, I had no reason to leave Angeles. I mean, I didn't know that they were going to, we were going to, we got the wrong producer or we would have, you know, gone big, real big back then. And, um, but we got Michael Lloyd and he just, you know, he, he had, he had Leaf Garrett, John Cassidy and Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, 
uh, Leaf Garrett. Um, he wasn't a rock promoter. And, you know, we were a rock band. You know, we wanted to drink and cuss and have fun. And, <laughs> and none of that was allowed. And, and it was just like, you know, uh, you, you know, so he dropped us. And it was like, what the happened happened you know and it was like we were going to be with warner curb and have the whole setup and and we were at cherokee studios and and so we got the wrong damn producer man and and it really screwed things up and so i went on and did warner angels at another studio harlequin um back in the day in northridge and that's where i met Ron james deal and and became good friends with them and he used to end up driving me home after uh, um, we're recording and he was rehearsing and they had rehearsal and recording at the same facility. And, uh, um, you know, Ron was a really cool guy. He was a really, really nice guy. And, but yeah, I was out, they took me over there and they wanted me to join, but I had no reason. I had no reason at all to think that we weren't going to go on. And if we had got, you know, Roy Thomas Baker or that damn producer, Mutt Lang, or somebody that, that knew, you know, dealt with rock bands. Yeah. Uh, things would have been a lot different, but we got Michael Lloyd. And not to say, you know, he's a great guy, all that, but he just wasn't in, you know, he had never done a rock band and he should have never tried to do a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it was just like, and then after that, it was depressing, you know, so two of the guys left. And it was like, so I, I pulled in, you know, my Tom Leslie and John Merritt and they both, um, have since passed away, but, um, you know, we, we, we went in and we did more no angels and we did, we speaking of covers, we did no sugar tonight by the guess who on there. Yeah. And I really actually put a little commercial guitar solo on it and, or in it. And it, uh, um, Fit, fit the record real well and I, I did everything else that, that he thought and I followed what he was going to do Michael Lloyd was going to do with with Nasty Girls You Want Me to Love You No Sugar Tonight and we did Keep Her the Gate and Blade of Steel and all those and, and um, so yeah it was uh, um, you know great times great great record um, 40th anniversary coming up that's wild that's crazy I knew it was coming up soon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just don't think I wanted to think about it. Yeah, but we're gonna be we're gonna be in a movie called Hell Week coming up in. Uh, it comes out ten eleven, and oh, wow. the tenth anniversary of Hell Week. Um, three songs off our last album, uh, Hill um, Hell on High Hills. Um, is gonna it opens. I've, I've been told opens up the the movie. Um, and I'm not into horror flicks, but um, I'm gonna have to watch this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it got it got put on the side burner and for about a year and a half, and now it's finally coming out. So that comes out, and, and everybody should get it and you know listen to this on ten eleven um, and watch it. And we got three songs, and plus that uh, uh, it opens like I said with um, Hell and I Hills, and then <clears throat> excuse me, Heal the Wounds and Celebrate are the three songs and. and from Amplos and, and the record. And I think we have a label mate, um, our label mate, um, is not Conquest, but what's the other one? The, the new one on the... No, no, no. Um, uh, Voodoo Moonshine. 
Yeah, okay. they, it's another label mate that's on uh, Dark Star Records, uh, distributed with Sony, <clears throat> Sony Universal, and um, they're a great label. Um, Jeffrey Swanson, the president, really happy to be with um, Dark Star. They're, they're fantastic, and he's a great guy, uh, Jeffrey, and uh, um, they're really, really a great company. Very happy to be on, on this label. We've done three. Four, this is our fourth album with them. And okay. so that's, uh, and um, I am going to be doing a single. I go on Thursday to do, uh, redo the vocals of Run Like an Outlaw. And then oh, I'm going to wow. be doing a music video for Run Like an Outlaw. So I will be on that one. And that's coming out. And then I may go in and do a single, or I may just hold up and do a complete new album with me vocally. So, um, just waiting to see what where that goes in this uh this winter <laughs> yeah when we go into the basement and start writing you know i've, I've got so many of the stuff though I've, I've pretty much got all the music ready to go so looking forward to hearing that new version of running like an outlaw on that movie checking out that movie too yeah yeah it should be a lot of fun yeah. should be a lot of fun absolutely all right man well i appreciate you joining me today and I'm looking forward to what you got coming you soon me on Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on the show. There you go, Del Lytle of Angeles. Once again, a huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions. She's always been a huge supporter of this podcast, and I can never thank her enough. And also a massive thank you to Del Lytle for taking some time out there, giving me a call, chatting about all the stuff we chat about, and that was a fun one. So once again, check out Running Like an Outlaw, the brand new album from Angelus that came out earlier this year. And as you heard in that interview, he also has a book that has been out for now quite a while, but he republished with, you know, newer info as well. So check that out. A couple fun interviews here on this episode between Dell and Chaz West. Great music there from Tesla. If this is your first time listening, I mean, I can't thank you enough. We've, you know, been talking about kind of the, the 80s era of rock and roll, that kind of sound when it comes to a lot of the projects that, you know, Chaz has been a part of, and then his influences like Dio, and then of course, Angelus and Tesla, and all this great stuff. But we've had on many guests from that era of music. Jeff Tate of Queensryche was on here earlier this year. Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister was on here last year. We've also had on Gene Simmons of Kiss. Bruce Kulick, formerly of Kiss. Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses. Mark Slaughter, Frank Hannon a few times, Brian Wheat of Tesla, man, let me think, that era, L.A. Guns, Kicks, Junkyard, Firehouse, Warrant, Lillian Axe, man, I know that I'm forgetting some big ones, but there's a sampling. We've also had on some guys from some more modern hard rock bands like Buck Cherry, Skillet, Saving Abel, Sons of Texas. We've also had on some heavy stuff like Megadeth, Testament. We've also had on Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple and the Dead Daisies. Man, talk about one of the greatest voices of all time. But man, the list is super long. 353 episodes previous to this one. You can check out all that stuff pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Wherever you're listening right now, follow or like or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Like I said earlier, those episodes include Russell Allen of Symphony X, 
and Adrenaline Mob. Sam Spade Morris of the Midnight Devils. Anthony Apello of Six Gun Sal. Jeff Buner of the Loyal Order. All these episodes coming here in the coming weeks. We've also got some others that are set to be recorded as well. BeatTheUnderground.com. You can listen there. You can find all our socials there. So like, follow, subscribe, whatever it is you do. And anytime you see a post on social media, if it's Instagram, hit that heart. If it's Facebook, like it, drop a comment, share it if you can. If it's Twitter, comment, retweet. All those things are a big time help because it just helps, you know, how these algorithms work. It just helps spread everything around. So once again, let's recap. A huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bat Promotions, Chaz West of Westbound, Del Lytle of Angelus, Med Farm, DEB Concerts, and Sunset Tattoo. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.